far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a freak. I know I'd go from rags to riches If you would only say you care And though my pocket may be empty I'd be a millionaire May still be torn and tattered. To me, being a freak was better than being the President of the United States. Even before I first listened to the Comics Monthly Monday, I knew I wanted to be a part of it. It was there that I knew that I belonged. To me, it meant being somebody in a neighborhood that was full of nobodies. They weren't like anybody else. I mean, they did whatever they wanted. They talked about Marvel Star Wars, and no one gave them grief about that rabbit. In the summer when they podcasted all night, nobody ever called the cops. Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Scott and Chris. Scott and Chris ran the podcast in Orlando and a few other places for Dufo Demonzik, who was the boss, over everybody in the neighborhood. Dufo might have moved slow, but it was only because he didn't have to move for anybody. First, my parents loved that I found a podcast. My father, who was Italian, was sent to work at the age of 11 and he liked that I got myself a job. He always said American kids were spoiled lazy. My mother was happy after she found out that the Demonzes came from the same part of Sicily as she did. So my mother was the answer to her prayers. I was the luckiest guy in the world. I could go anywhere. I could do anything. I knew everybody and everybody knew me. But it wasn't too long before my parents changed their minds. For them, the podcast was supposed to be a part-time job. But for me, it was full-time. People like my father could never understand, but I was part of something. I belonged. I was treated like a grown-up. Every day I was learning to score. My father was always pissed off. He was pissed that he had to work so hard. He was pissed that he had made such lousy money. He was pissed that there were seven of us living in a tiny house. But after a while, he was mostly pissed that I kept podcasting. He said they were bums and I was a bum. He said I was going to get into trouble. I used to say I was only talking about geek stuff after work, but he knew better. He knew what went on on the podcast, and every once in a while, usually after he got his load on, I had to take a beating. But by then, I didn't care. No matter how many beatings I took, I wouldn't listen to what he said. I don't think I even heard him. The way I saw it, everybody has to take a beating sometime. That was it. No more letters from cops. No more letters from work. In fact, no more letters from anybody. How could I go back to work after that and pledge allegiance to the flag and sit through all that good government bullshit? Hundreds of guys depended on Dufo and he got a piece of everything they made. It was like it was a tribute. Just like the old country, except they were doing it in America. All they got from Dufo was protection from other guys looking to rip them off. What it was all about. That's what the FBI can never understand. That's what Dufo and the organization does is offer protection for people who can't go to the cops. They like the police department for podcasters. So, Two True Freaks presents Pop Culture Affidavit, Episode 35 Geekery 3 The Domination. Welcome to episode 35 of Pop Culture Affidavit, which is now a part of the Two True Freaks network of podcasts. 
I am your host, Tom Panneries, and this time around, I'm taking a little bit of a break from my ongoing series for this year called 1994, the most important year of the 90s, and I am going to be doing my annual episode about the Baltimore Comic Con. Uh, my first episode two years ago was about the 2012 con. It was about my the summer of 2012 as well. And I went again last year and I went again this year. Uh, and I, So basically what I wanted for this episode is spend uh, about an hour or so talking about the con, what I got, who I met, and, uh, and all about it. So... Uh, what I'm going to do is, like I said, I'm going to start by talking about you know my usual con prep and stuff like that, and and get into uh, into some of the stuff I did. I'm actually kind of podcasting without a net here. Um, I've got some sketched out notes, but for the most part, figured, ah, what the heck, I'll ramble. I've got some footage that I did at the con, but not as much as last year, and I'm going to uh, I'll, I'll be dropping that in for a second. Before I do that, I am going to take a quick break, play a trailer, and when I get back. Talk Comic Con. Yeah, play it. Come on, play it loud. Play it loud. And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. Illogic, foolish emotions. Constant irritant. And transpire out! Three! Two! the circus. <laughs> right next to the dog-faced boy. True! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, it's a super prize package worth nine thousand three hundred and eighty dollars. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! Go away, And now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts. Scott Gardner. He killed the police officer for Christ's sake. Yeah, goddamn lucky he didn't kill all. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Look at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, let's go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! You're the issue. I say shut up! It's a man home! A man home! TwoTrueFreaks.com So yeah, I did leave at 5... 30 in the morning for the convention. Uh, it sounds a little bit insane, and I guess it is, but as I've mentioned, I hear, I listen to Mike Bailey talk about Dragon Con, um, and then listen to Scott talk about Megacon, and Paul talk about the New York Comic Con in the past is one of the things that, that inspired me to go to a con a couple of years ago, because I hadn't been in, in years, and the thing, the one thing that's different, uh, it's probably close to what Paul does than than anybody, where Scott does than anybody. Mike, Mike gets a hotel room in downtown Atlanta for Dragon Con, which, um, 
which totally makes sense because the 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 only places that have worse traffic than the Washington D.C. area are probably L.A. and Atlanta. But I don't I don't have the money for a hotel room very often. I save up a lot of spending money for the convention itself, but for the most part, I don't. So what I do is my my in laws live about an hour and a half away, and I stay there and I do a one day ticket to the convention. Well, I don't even do a ticket; I get a press pass, and I drive up from from Northern Virginia and the drive without traffic is roughly an hour and a half. But if you know anything about Northern Virginia, it could be three o'clock in the morning and there'd be traffic. So especially on 95. So what I do is I remember I emailed um, Randy Tischler, who's the, the guy who sets up the press contacts and stuff for, uh, for teacher, for the con. And I remember I emailed him like when you guys set up, cause the con opens at 10, but the line starts a lot earlier. And he says, you know, like seven, seven thirty. So, I was like, well, I'm going to be there. I said to myself, I'm going to be there at 7. And A, to get into the front of the line, and B, just to avoid any traffic that I may hit. And, and I did. I, I got there, and it was funny. It took me a lot less time than I thought. So I was there at like quarter of 7 and um, and, and ended up being there before they even were open to give out press passes. But one of the things about this year's comic convention that was special was that it was the 15th anniversary of the Baltimore Comic-Con. The Baltimore Comic-Con started, if we're doing math, from what I remember, it was 1999, and it started at, and I want to say it was first held at the Towson Sheridan, the one that is connected to the Towson Town Center Mall. And I want to say this because I think I remember seeing an advertisement for it in the... It was either the Baltimore or the Washington City paper, possibly, and for some reason not going. Even though I was living, I was by then I had I went to college in Baltimore. In fact, that that hotel, if I'm thinking about the right hotel, was the hotel that a my parents used to stay in when they would come visit me when I was in college, and b that my friend Russ had his wedding reception in a couple of years back in 2001. But it had grown to the point where they were renting out a one of the halls of the Baltimore Convention Center. Well, it had grown so much in the last few years that the the organizers rented were able to afford to rent out the largest hall, the larger hall, um, which is on the Pratt Street entrance of of the Baltimore Convention Center. And the Baltimore Convention Center, if you're not sure, if, you, if you're not familiar with Baltimore, is located directly in the Inner Harbor. Um, if you're if you're facing uh, if you're facing the entrance to your immediate right is Camden Yards and uh, Oriole Park and Camden Yards, and to your left is the Inner Harbor itself, the the the, the shopping center and the you know, the Hard Rock and, and Barnes and Noble and all the all the places that that are built up around there. Um, in fact, the one of the and, and then Fells Point isn't very far away, and it was kind of funny because I think the Wharf Rats down there. I remember being eating, uh, drinking at that bar a couple of times when I was in college, so uh, I'm pretty familiar with it. And there was a bigger hall. They also went to three days. In the past, it was uh, there was some late Friday night reception stuff if you had VIP passes, but there was always the first day was always Saturday morning. And what was cool is that they were able to expand this. Now I was not able to go to Friday night, and from what I was told, from a lot of people just kind of standing in line. That Friday night was Friday afternoon was more chill, which makes total sense because most people work. So if you unless you take the day off way ahead of time, you're not able to get uh, Friday night tickets. And um, and the hall itself, 
um, you know, I got to give these guys credit. They, they picked the right place because the hall itself was um, larger. The ceiling seemed higher. It didn't seem as claustrophobic as it usually does. They had a couple of floors themselves. The hall was actually had its own little food court. Um, I didn't eat lunch there or anything. I brought my own lunch, but it was nice to have seats to sit down every once in a while. And the the flow of the place was a lot more conducive to walking around. Um, I, I'm always curious. Like one year, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get an interview with somebody who plans the convention. Maybe I should do that for next year because I would love to sit down and talk to somebody for a little bit about just the logistics of planning a comic convention. You know, like just all the way down to like mapping out the floor. Yeah. So I have um, my planning, and as I said, I plan the same way every year. I download the list of creators a couple of times because they keep up. They update like all the way till the end. Because some people cancel and some people are added. Like Denny O'Neill was added toward the last minute, and I was like, okay. So what I do is I get the programming list. And I uh, and I highlight whatever I want to go to, and there were there were a, a bunch of interesting programs that were there. Uh, some of the panels I just wasn't able to go to because they either conflicted with one another, or they were um, they were on like Friday night. Uh, there was a history of the comics code on Friday. There was it's called sexier sexualized from three to four on Friday. That was uh, about. The depiction of women being sexy versus sexualized. When does it draw the line? It really sounded really interesting. Um, there was a spotlight on Walter and Louise Simonson. Bob Greenberger moderated a panel from 5 to 6 on Friday called Favorite Comics. And it was all about the comics creators and the comics they loved. There was a 3 to 4 o'clock on Friday teaching with comics. Three graphic illustrators and writers exploring the benefits of teaching with comics. This is a panel I'd love to be on as a high school English teacher. Uh, this would be fun to be on. Uh, unfortunately, I don't really know anybody, <laughs> but um, but it would be really, really, really cool. So that was that was your. Um, there was a great Capullo spotlight on Friday night. The Saturday ones, um, there was a lot of stuff on. There was a lot of stuff about stuff like cosplay, which I'm not really that interested in. There was a Paul Pope spotlight. Uh, the role of an editor, which was later than, than where I was going to be. And I went to the one called uh, Tales from the Code, Two Stories of Censorship, and um, was thinking of going to the DC Comics panel, but decided not to, especially since I was having too, fun, too much fun shopping and hanging around looking for creators. But what I do is I get the map of the convention floor, and I have the list, and I have highlighted on the list, and, you know... It sounds really inattentive, but you're sitting on your ass for like three hours waiting for the con to open. And because I had gotten there, I got in there, I got in there before they opened. I got the press pass, and I was I had my press pass, and I said, "Well, where's the front of the line?" And they said, "Okay." So I sat down, and I was kind of this bundle of nervous energy. I should have brought my iPod with me and just listened to a podcast for those couple of hours and kind of tune things out and like kind of find my center and. Maybe I will do that next year because, as I'm going to say, I was like this bundle of nervous energy just like all day. And there were a couple of reasons for that. But long story short, one of the things that I did was I took the map and I highlighted. I had a highlighter and a red pen. And I highlighted all of the places where I was going to go, like who I was and and the order in which I was going to go. And as I looked at all the people I was going to visit, I realized that they were all around the perimeter of the convention floor. And I was like, 
And and I knew there were some people in the interior, but for the most part, I was like, this is really brilliant. I was like, the flow of creators and then the flow into Artist Alley and stuff, it was really, really well planned. So I would love to sit down with somebody from the con and talk about logistics of planning and, and stuff like that. And perhaps I can do that at, at some point in the next, um, over the next year going into this. Um Maybe I'll get in touch with somebody. Uh, the okay. So so aside from that, so I had this all planned out, and one of the things that that I did to prep, that I always do to prep, is make my list of who I want stuff signed. And my list of stuff signed, like I said, starts off with people like who do I have something by, and then I kind of narrow it down because I have a rule that I don't take more than I can carry. I did make the decision this year to go back to my car, drop up all my signed comics, and then go back so that I had an empty bag for shopping, which was brilliant on my part because that way I wasn't lugging around a huge, huge bag the entire day. Um, but other than that, that was my prep and then getting there early, packing some food with me so that I didn't have to spend the money on, on con food, which looked good but looked really expensive, and then uh, then, then heading up. Sat in line for, for a couple of hours Interesting people. You, you you look around. You talk to people. Uh, there's all ranges of geeks. Um, I'm always happy to see all sorts of different people at a comic convention. Women, especially in in and out of costume. Um, you know, talking about different characters. There's such an eclectic range of interests at a at an event like this that and and they really do try to cater to all of those interests. And one of the things that a lot of people have told me about this comic convention is that it really is one that truly focuses on comic books still as opposed to being more about entertainment. You know, you they had a they had a media guest P- Peter Mayhew, Chewbacca was there. I contemplated getting his autograph. Um I didn't have anything for him to sign. I didn't know what the price was and the line was a little too long, so I was like, all right, I think I'll just skip that. But the other spotlight guest was Walter Simonson, whom I didn't get anything signed by because I had something signed by him a couple of years ago. But um, he signed my uh, Uncanny X-Men New Teen Titans uh, book. But it was cool that the big names are uh, are the comics creators. Nothing against media guests. In fact, my friend, in fact, Shell, who was on the last episode, we were talking about MSCL together, went to Wizard World Chicago about a week or two before I went to Baltimore. And one of the big media guests there was was Sebastian Stan, and she sent me this picture of the two of them, and and they posed like a prom photo where he's standing behind her with his arms around her waist, and she's kind of leaning back and smiling. I was laughing so hard, and I showed it to my wife, and she was laughing. It was it was one of those funny things, and I was first like, first of all, Shellers, how do you meet these people? I'm like. You know, I mean, you know, granted, I got my picture taken last year with George Perez and this year with Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. And yeah, for me, for a comic geek, that's cool. But it's like, you know, you got like, you know, you're, you're the actor you have a crush on, you get to meet them. But that's, that's her. She, she has just great celebrity meet luck. So I went and got my stuff. I narrowed my stuff down and then I, I planned it out and, you kind of throw your plans out at the beginning of the con because things get turned around, people cancel, or people aren't there yet. My first, my number one on my list was Denny O'Neill. He was a late addition to the con, and he was he was not there yet. And then I started going around at 10 o'clock, and this person wasn't there. Like, Frank Cho wasn't there yet. Cliff Chang wasn't there yet. So it was, But I was like, all right, I'm not going to be dismayed. 
I'm going to just go to where I can. So that meant my first stop did end up being Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. And I had him sign about three or four comics, and I had him sign um, the the Return of Donna Troy miniseries, New Teen Titans, the Baxter series number seven. It's a white cover with as the character of Azrael, not not the Asbats Azrael, but the old, the one that that Wolfman created of uh, who was like a winged angel type. And um, Lilith, and he's carrying her away, and Starfire is chasing them, shooting star bolts. It was the f- part of the origin of Lilith storyline that that ran, and he did the pencils for that three parter. It's a beautiful, beautiful artwork in that in those books. And uh, he signed that, and then he signed the Nightwing Who's Who entry, the binder entry, and then um, and then he looks at me, and I was wearing my Justice League t shirt, and this t shirt's old. I wore it a couple of years ago too, but it is. It's 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 a Jose Luis, it's a Garcia Lopez. Justice League drawing of the entire Satellite Era League running toward, um, you know, towards you with the old Justice League of America logo. And he says, would you like me to sign your T-shirt? And I was like, oh, it's really, I, I felt bad. I said, it's really old. It's going to come out in the wash. And I said, but but you want to, can I get a picture? So I have a picture with me and, and Mr. Garcia Lopez um, and me wearing his t-shirt and that was pretty cool to me because i was like all right you know it's very rare that you get to meet the person who drew the artwork on your t-shirt and and this is a this was a big get for me because i had tried to meet him a couple of years ago and the line was so long that i kind of abandoned the line in favor of going and meeting people like walt simonson and louise simonson and, and roger stern but what i love about that is that he is one of those artists that is so influential in a lot of us in our generation of course because of all the merchandising art he did and you don't necessarily always get to meet those people. So that was that was pretty cool. Uh, next up, though, I stood in line. Um, there were two people up at the back of the room um, who were next to Chewbacca's Peter Mayhew's line, and one of them was George Perez, and the other one was Dan Jurgens. Now, I had a bunch of George Perez comics in my bag, and my thought was I will see the line and I will get my ticket or whatever, however he's running the system this year, and I'll think about it. And Dan Jurgens was right next to him, and the line for Dan Jurgens was not as long, it was not very long, but the line for George Perez always already stretched beyond three booths and around the corner. And again, once again, credit to the planners of the con. What they did with these lines, they had it was they had like three or four people next to one another. You had Dan Jurgens, George Perez, and Ivan Reyes or Reese. I can't remember how to pronounce the name. I think it was Reyes and Joe Prado were all right next to each other, and then Peter Mayhew was near them. And you wouldn't have known it. The lines were long because they had great line management. They to the point where they taped out the line on the floor, the basic start of the line. And with Perez's line, knowing how long that line tends to run, they they started the line. They kind of snaked it around, and then they snaked it behind the booths. Because the booths were up against the wall, so they had the, the behind the booths and along the wall, so that traffic could move. And this is what I was talking about: the logistics. This was pretty impressive. Um, the Dan Jurgens line was nowhere near as long, but there were quite a number of people, and I ended up getting stuck behind like the guy, the guy who gives had him sign. Like I think he had him sign the entire Death and Return of Superman storyline, which was like holy. I mean, how many fucking books are you going to have this guy sign? Mr. Jurgens was very, very gracious about it. And the guy was actually kind of nice. He wasn't like a total dick. And they had a really good conversation. I was kind of listening to them the whole time. And that's what I love about standing in line at comic conventions. Because if you're standing behind somebody and they're actually having a halfway decent conversation with the artist or writer, it's kind of a treat. You get to listen to them and, you know, you're eavesdropping. Or you talk to people in line. And somebody had met Gail Simone and they were talking about 
they had they had talked about how she told them about characters that were going to be in the new Secret Six, and it just that sort of stuff was kind of fun to talk to other people about. Um, I had the opportunity to have Mister Jurgens sign uh, three Superman trade paperbacks. One is Panic in the Sky. Uh, which I've had signed by Bob McLeod, Roger Stern, and Louise Simonson. The Death of the Superman, the first trade from back in the early 90s, which I've also had signed by Roger Stern, Louise Simonson, and uh, World Without a Superman. It's a collective funeral for a friend who I also had signed by Stern and Simonson. Uh, Mr. Jurgen signed those, but he also signed, um, he signed the Booster Gold Who's Who page, which it's such a great Who's Who page from the Binder Edition. It's such, It's classic. It's so classic. Um, he signed Wave Rider because Wave Rider was has always been one of my favorite characters that he created. He signed New Teen Titans, the Baxter series number six, which is one of his first DC works. It's the first issue after George Perez left. And he also signed his Teen Titans comics issues. I had gave him issue one. I gave him issue 24, which is the first and the last issue. And, and and uh, we talked a little bit about how about this series because I am I'm a pretty big fan of his series. Thank you for contributing to Hero. I am. I was a big fan of your Teen Titans series. I was oh, sad you. when it when it ended because I thought you did something really uh, unique rather than rehash a lot of the old. Uh, right. Stuff. Certainly tried to find something different to do with. Yeah. Um, did you ever get a chance to do those characters again? Because I I would always be kind of excited when uh, when they would pop up here. And there. Not really, uh, especially since every time Jeff Johns touched one, he seemed to want to cut off an arm or something. Uh, yeah. No, I, I not. Uh, you know, Argent appeared a little while after I had left and everything. Um, but I think, by and large, yeah. especially now with the new Fifty Two, there might be an opportunity yeah. to use some of them. But part of it was, I think, with all the new characters, such as they were, they weren't necessarily interpreted as the Teen Titans, mm-hmm. which I knew was going to be an issue. Yeah. And, you know, we gave it a good shot. Uh, we might have actually done better if we just called them, like, you know, the Popsicle Kids. Yeah. I don't you know. <laughs> Arjun had my favorite story arc because she was the spoiled brat. In the, I, I always thought that that was a really cool... Uh, spoiled rich kid, yeah. Yeah, and then kind of the, the growth of her character. I was, it was a really, really great series. Yeah, and the funny thing is, I think, had they done that, you know, back during the financial sort of crash and all that uh-huh. stuff, it might have resonated even better. So, yeah. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure meeting you. My pleasure. All right, take care. You too. One of the things that I've noticed that I was kind of noticing about myself as I was going through the Comic Con um, this year was how intent I was on getting a lot more signings than I thought I was going to get. And there were a couple of people on my list who I never got to. Alan Davis was there, and I really wanted him to sign my copy of Detective Comics number 674. But when I got to his booth, there was a sign that he wasn't going to be signing until a certain time, and I was going to be gone by then. And the same thing with Mark Wade. I had a bunch of Mark Wade stuff to have signed. Uh, Kingdom Come, for instance, and... Um, a bunch of other stuff, and he uh, he was not available until I think after five or six o'clock, and I was like, oh shit, I'm going to be gone by then. So, and and I had forgotten a couple of things. There were Brandon and Brian, Brandon and Brian Frame from the, who did the artwork on the first volume, the Waiting Place were there, and I could have sworn I had my copy in there, but they weren't. But I did meet some people that I had never met before, and and one of them was Todd Klein. Todd Klein is was a writer for Omega Men. 
for, for a number of years, and I had him sign copies of Omega Men number 35 and 34 and 35, which were the, the only reason, I, and believe it or not, the only reason I actually own these is because they're crossover issues with the new Teen Titans, so that's why I have them, but... Um, I talked with him a little bit about how how interesting it was to meet a, somebody who lettered. I enjoy his blog through the kind of the history of of lettering and how he goes through his process. He I also had him sign my copy of Kingdom Come, which I had brought to have Mark Wade sign, but he's also was the letterer. And I was like, oh, I would love to have have somebody else who worked on this sign because I don't think I'm ever going to meet Alex Ross. And um, Todd Klein has this great signature. It's 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 totally what you would expect from somebody who's who's background and whose profession is lettering comics. I'm gonna and, and I'm gonna be posting all of these to the blog. Uh so please go to popcultureaffidavit.com and look at the show notes because all the signatures and stuff that I have are there. And I asked him about who's who and he said I said, you know, I have a couple of friends who are who have a podcast they're looking at who's who and I said, I know you did a lot of the logos and he said, Yeah, we, we used whatever we use whatever logos we could that we already had, obviously, but when it came to doing new logos, he said, I was banging them out, you know, left and right. And he said at one point they were complaining that so many of them were so similar. And, and he even said that, well, what did you expect? You have the same person doing them across the works going to overlap. But, um, he was very nice. And me being a, you know, me doing yearbooks for a living for at least now, um, having a decent knowledge of typeface font and, all those things really can really really appreciates it and and his stuff is just uh, I mean it's gorgeous he had some of his work displayed and he was looking at stuff and I was like this is this stuff is is gorgeous so um, it was a pleasure meeting him um, another group of people that I had met uh, that I did not tape because I tape I taped my conversation with Michael Golden last year but he was there again and I, and one of the things if you ever meet Michael Golden at a con now I don't know if he does this at every, every con but he and Renee Witterstater and and Mike Zeck was with them and they charged for their signature so I I knew that going in so I had money set aside for that and I got two things signed by Michael Golden I got the Nom number nine and I got one of the I have the three original Nom trade paperbacks um, I got two of them in a random auction because I got a lot of comics because I was trying to fi- finish out the latter part of the series. And then a couple of years ago, I, I wanted the second one because I had the first and the third one and I got the second one. So I brought the second one because I had it signed because it's some of my favorite stories in there. Mike Z- Golden was not as, as much of a get for me as Mike Zek was. Zek, of course, was the artist on the covers for years on G.I. Joe. He was also the covers for years, cover artist for years for Deathstroke. So I brought Deathstroke the Terminator number one, partially because of it's Deathstroke number one, but also because Marv Wolfman and Steve Irwin had signed it because I was a subscriber to the comic book back in the early 90s when it first started. So I got a signed copy of the book when they shipped my copy to me, and I also got a poster. I don't have the poster anymore. I kind of wish I did. I would have had Mike Zek sign it. But... I also brought G.I. Joe number 61 and 55 because Larry Hama had signed those a couple years ago and number 46, which I had just picked up about a year ago in a 50-cent bin at my comic shop. And I was like, I'm getting this. And it was, it's my all-time favorite G.I. Joe cover. It's Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes. It's when they storm Cobra Island and stuff. It's right before the Serpentor Saga, but I had him sign it. And that was that was really cool. Um, and I had something from Renee Witterstater to sign. Um, my sister, for my birthday, gave me a copy of her book, Nick Cardi, The Artist at War. And apparently she gave me the UK edition, um, which is kind of funny, but um, that's what 
Ms. Witterstater said, but um, that's what she bought off Amazon. And I, Nick Carty passed away, obviously, and before I could get meet him or get this book signed by him. But the book itself is a retrospective of the watercolors and other sketches that he did while serving in the Second World War. And having a grandfather who served in the Second World War, it's one of those fascinating, fascinating things. And, and I was really, really touched to, to get it and, and really, really touched by the, the actual book because it was really fascinating. It's really worth picking up. Um, and Renee Witterstater was the editor. She put the book together with Nick Carty. And you know, I said, I would love to have you sign this. And she said, sure. And she wrote, T. Tom, Nick would be happy you have his book. Thanks, Renee Winterstater. And um, she's very, very nice. And she actually, I also bought another book of, his, of hers for, because it was like all of 10 bucks, um, called Nick Cardi Whitlash, which is, um, which is a book of his kind of comic strip stuff, um, humor stuff. Some magazine covers, some um, some superhero stuff, but mostly magazine covers and other artwork that is more humorous. And uh, it was really, really fascinating because and and it really has given me an appreciation uh, for the artist. That was that was pretty cool. Um, but going around, I I think. Like I said, I was a bundle of nervous energy most of the entire con. And one of the things about it was that I think I had a lot of creators that I was like, I'm going to get the sign. I'm going to get the sign. And so I'm running around from booth to booth to booth to booth. And it didn't ruin my experience, but I definitely thought as I was walking away to lunch and to put some stuff back in my car, I definitely thought to myself, next time... Don't focus so much on the creators. Like almost like how last year where I had a few people I wanted to get and that was about it. And I think that's a good idea too, because that way I can just relax a little bit. It's very overwhelming to be in a crowd like that, especially for me who I'm not phobic in any way. I do have some anxiety from time to time, but there are times when I'm in a huge crowd like that where I feel pressure to go and do things and to move around, and yet, so it takes it. So um, until I have my bearings, I'm very, very nervous. And so, once I got my bearings and I knew what I was doing, I could do that. And there were a couple of times where I got lost looking for booths and stuff. But I mean, it's one floor; you'll eventually find your way. But I definitely was like, okay, I gotta do this. I gotta do this. I gotta do this. And there were certain people I did definitely want to see. Cliff Chang. Cliff Chang was at Comic Con two. Baltimore was in Baltimore two years ago, and I had him sign a couple of Wonder Woman comics that, that were out at the time, and this year I brought some others back. Um, he's wrapping up his run on on Wonder Woman. Uh, Brian Azzarello has been writing it, but there the new team is coming on, and, and I told them so much, uh, and I, when we talked about his artwork, his run on Wonder Woman, as well as what he's doing in the future. I'm sad that you're leaving the... <laughs> I, I don't know if I'll stick around with it because I do love the character, but yeah, I'm just not jazzed about the, the, new, the new team. Well, we'll see how, I might see how give they it a couple do. of issues. Yeah. yeah. I hope they, you know, hope they find their voice with it. Yeah. But I've really enjoyed it. Uh, what are you doing... Uh, next after Wonder Woman? Um, 
some more covers, and then hopefully a creator own book. Cool. Also, probably more info about that in, in the new year. I've been following you on Twitter for a while, so I'll just. Uh, oh yeah, no, it. yeah, they'll, <laughs> when 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 it's possible to announce it, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say. Well, thank you very much. It was very good to see you again. Yeah, best of luck. Have a good show. Thanks. And then right next to him in the booth over was Frank Cho. Frank Cho is the first comic book signature I ever got at a comic convention. Because the first time I knew Frank Cho from Liberty Meadows as early as 2000. Uh, because and and I got his signature on an, one of the Image Comics issues of Liberty Meadows back in 2002 at the Small Press Expo in Bethesda, Maryland. And I brought with me, uh, I went out and I went to InStock Trades and bought because I don't have any, I don't have any trades of Liberty Meadows. I just have a couple of the issues that I still had. And I was like, well, I should go back and collect this. So I bought, and they had a really, really steep discount on the Liberty Meadows hardcover, the 10th anniversary of Volume 1, Eden. So what I did was I bought that. And I don't usually buy hardcovers, but I was like, oh, this is a gorgeous book. And it is a gorgeous book. And he um, he signed it for me. And he also signed an old comic that I had cut out from the Washington Post years ago and had clipped to my cubicle back when I worked in an office. So I brought that with me because I had found it when I was looking through some stuff. How's it going? How's it going? Great. It's going to seem silly, but uh, I don't understand this. And uh, this was on the wall of my cubicle since about 2000 when it was first uh, yeah, in the post. And yeah. so I just, I yeah. found it I found it the other day and I was like, I've got, I've got to take this to get inside. I love, I love that. This, I love this, this series. Thank you. Because you're into Wiener Dogs. Oh, wiener dogs are awesome. Yeah. yeah. I can tell. They're insane. Because you're a guy. Yes. That's what guys are into. Oh, dude. They're but, insane. Uh, but thank you very much. Thank you. For back in here. All right. Have a uh, great rest of the conference. You too. Thank very you. But overall, it was pretty cool to meet um, some of the creators. Um, I finally got my Brian Stelfreeze signature. For the last two years, Brian Stelfreeze was just not... He was scheduled, and I always missed him, or he wasn't there, or he canceled it, or whatever. So um, this year, I I made a point to make sure that I found him, and I found him... Uh, he was near Ron Mars's booth. I got Ron Mars to sign a couple of Kyle Rayner-era Green Lantern comics. I sent one to Sean Engel uh, of Just One of the Guys, because um, I love that podcast, and... And, and wanted to send him that way. Um, I had Brian Stelfree sign two uh, two things. One was the Doctor Light Who's Who entry, and the other thing was his Catwoman entry from Who's Who from the Binder edition, which is such a sexy drawing. It's so cool. And um, and Mark Wade had signed it a couple of years ago, so I have Mark Wade and Brian Stelfree's signatures on the Who's Who page, and that's. That's really awesome. He was talking about, for some reason, talking about the guy in front of me and, and with me about um, the whole naked pictures of celebrities on the internet, that hack thing that happened like about a week before that. Um, so it is kind of interesting that the the comments that people have and, and stuff. But he was, again, everybody here was nice. And so what I did was I went back to, to lunch and came back and had uh, a couple of signatures that I wanted to get and a couple of people that I wanted to meet. But I went shopping for the most part. And I'll, I'll talk about uh, 
I'll talk about that sort of my after lunch portion of the comic convention after this. Hey, Paul, what's up? Ah, not much. What's going on? I'm I'm just a little confused lately. I yeah. What else is new? Well, you know, m- more than usual. I tried to go to get the shows that we just put up, and I was having problems finding them. Well, we having trouble finding. Well, I couldn't find Back to the Bins. I couldn't find Avengers Spotlight. Of course, you can only find those when I actually edit them. <clears throat> and um, <laughs> oh, you took but, the words you know, right out of my mouth. They're on the feed, Bill. Yeah, I know. That's where I went. I went to the feed, but they weren't there. Yeah, no, you got to go to the feed. You got to go to the Back to the Bins feed. The Back to the Bins feed. What's yeah, that? The Back to the Bins feed. You got to go to iTunes. You look for look up Back to the Bins, and you subscribe to the Back to the Bins feed. But I went to Two True Freaks. Yeah, we're on that feed, too. What? Where? On the feed. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're saying that we're on... All right, so if I wanted to go find the shows that we've done, I'm going to go on to iTunes, and I'm going to click on Back to the Bins, and I'll find Back to the Bins and Avengers Spotlight in the feed. Exactly. I don't even know what I'm talking about! Bill, you go to the feed... You subscribe to the show. You subscribe to whichever show you want. And then you get it. It's that what simple. Sh- you just got to go to the feed. What show do I want? Back to the bins. Where? An Avengers Spotlight. Oh, I'm so confused. They're on iTunes. They're on TwoTrueFreaks.com. You want them? Uh, you get them. They're you all got there them? To you. All the uh, shows are there. They're still all available, Bill. All right, on the so... Feed. Feed. If you say feed one more time, I'm going to break your arm. Oh, Scott, could you tell him? Hey, man, don't don't drag me into this because uh, it's no skin off my ass. I'm on all the feeds. <laughs> Bastard. And we're back. Had everything gone exactly according to plan, I would have gotten all my signatures gone, to, gone, grabbed a little bit of a bite to eat out of my bag, and come back and... Uh, done my shopping and it kind of didn't work that way I, I I was missing a couple of signatures that I absolutely wanted to get um, one of them was Denny O'Neill another one was Dean Haspiel who is the artist on Batman 66 uh, which I've been reading online so I don't have a physical copy of anything he did although he was selling one of his graphic novels but he, I also I had a copy. I have this book uh, that I had signed. I've had signed in the past called "Leaping Tall Buildings," and "Leaping Tall Buildings: The Origins of American Comics" is um, kind of a history of American comics told through interviews and profiles of some of the great names in comics. So inside of uh, whether or not they're living or dead, uh, it's it was it was taken. It was put together in 2008, 2009, I think. And you have people like, there's a profile of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. There's one of Will Eisner. There is uh, Jack Kirby, of course, Joe Simon, Stan Lee, Harvey Kurtzman, Al Jaffe. Um, and then other names like John Romita. I think John Romita's here. Stan Lee, of course, is... And Steve Ditko, who I don't think any of us will ever be able to meet. Um, Gene Colan, who of course passed away. Uh, Neil Adams. And I've had people sign it in the past. Um, flipping through it right now, I have Walt Simonson, Paul Levitz, um, and uh, and one person who I wanted to have sign, and he was there, was Den- Dennis O'Neill, Denny O'Neill. 
And so I brought with him, and, and so I, I looked through my Batman, and I've read quite a bit of Batman over the years, and his name was the one I associated with Batman most of all, and, and I started to realize that I don't actually own any of the comics with his name on them as a writer. I have some trades. I have the greatest Batman stories ever told, which is where I've read most of his most famous stuff, but never I don't have his Green Lantern, Green Arrow. I don't have his Rasha Ghoul stuff. So what I brought with me were, were things that were significant to me. One was this book. I'm like, I've been collecting signatures in this book for a couple of years, and I've really enjoyed doing it because this book is gorgeous, and it's kind of cool to have all these people and you know having met them and, and have a quick conversation with them. The other one thing I brought was my trade of a death in the family, and the and which is which is a it, it's it's a. Uh, one of those, I don't know if it's like the fourth or fifth edition, but it, it's from the late 80s or early 90s. It cost me $4 back in 19, probably 91. It's only the four issues, so it's not the new edition with the only place of dying in the back of it. And it's, um, it is a little bit beat up because it's been, it's about 25 years old now. And it was one of the first stories that I ever read. And I, I said, you know, this is one of the first Batman stories I ever read. And he kind of chuckled. And the guy who is next to him goes, did you call in for live or die? And he said, unfortunately, I read it about a year later. My friend had the trade and said, you got to read this. This is the one where they kill Robin. And I went and read it. And then I went and bought my own copy. And so he, I said, but, you know, but that's the thing. Uh, newer Batman fans or Batman fans of my vintage will not recognize Denny O'Neill as a Batman writer, but you will recognize him as the editor. Maybe the writer of the Nightfall novel, which I don't have a copy of anymore. I gave it to somebody years ago. I had a whipped to shit paperback copy of it anyway that I bought at a secondhand store. But point being, that's what we associated with uh, Denny O'Neill. So, but it was kind of nice to meet him. He is, it's one of those things where he's a lot older than you think you would be listening to him talk on Kevin Smith's podcast and you look at him and like well, I'm like you know I know he's long he's getting you know a lot of these guys are getting on in years they're probably around my parents age at this point but he is a lot more frail I think than I would have expected so it was, I, I felt kind of lucky to meet the guy um, another Dean Hashbill, who uh, Larry Hama had signed this. I'm flipping through the book right now. But there are other people like maybe one day I'll meet Neil Gaiman. Maybe I'll then one day I'll meet Grant Morrison. Jimmy Palmiotti usually comes to these things, but he wasn't there this year. Dean Hashbill um, and I talked, and he he knew the the person. He it was actually kind of sad. He said, "Oh, Seth, who was Seth um, Kushner, who was the person who took all the pictures." And Dean had said that doing this with him was kind of the impetus for the entire book, you know, going out and talking to other people. And he signed the book and he said that the Seth apparently is, is, um, uh, has cancer. And then he was talking about, you know, one of the things they were doing was they were doing a charity thing for, from bone marrow donors and, and having you sign up and, and looking into becoming a bone marrow donor. And then I bought, um, a copy of, the fox, freak magnet. The character is the fox, which is he said it's you know he's like this. Um, he's, he's like this is you know my my uh, uh, very very much like what he does on um, on Batman sixty six. And there was something else he was selling, but I didn't have I, I didn't have the money for it. I might come by and get it next time if he's there. But it was very very nice to talk to him and uh, and very sad to hear about that. And and there that was one of many different charities that were going on. Uh, that had things going on. One of them, of course, was the Heroes um, Initiative. 
I think that's what it's called, uh, where I, and I put a couple of bucks into a pot where I was with Dan Jurgens and with Ron Mars, where I put a little bit of money into that because they were collecting money for the for that, uh, which helps people who need, which helps old comic creators with health insurance and, and, and hospital bills and things because a lot of them are freelancers and don't necessarily aren't collecting a pension with, you know, or, or anything like that. Um, and, and didn't really have insurance and stuff because such is the life, uh, such is that life sometimes. Uh, and the other one, of course, was the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, who I uh, came in and, and looked at. Um, and the other, the other signature that I got that I guess is of any note was Paul Pope. And Paul Pope had I'm I'm familiar with him to an extent. I've I I know he did. Uh, Batman Year 100 a number of years ago, and I, I've read that. I don't have my own copy, but I have read that, and it was it was pretty good. Um, it is. There's always like one or two creators who, at a thing like this, I it's almost like I discover them in a sense. It's like you know, I pick up and and I start reading them because I've met the guy or because um, these are interesting. And this is what this book's actually helped with. Um, I. Uh, you know, I will now like I'll go ahead and I'll look at what like Dean Hashfield's doing because of meeting him and because of this book and being like, okay, you know, like you kind of turn me on to this, um, you turn me on to this this creator. Paul Pope um, is known for doing 100%. He did Batman Year 100 and a number of other things, and he had a uh, spotlight panel right before coming down to sign about 2.30 and he was actually toward the end of my I left like right after seeing him because of the line I was like I stood in the line for a while and I bought a copy of 100% um, part of the, the proceeds of part of which of my purchase went to the comic book legal defense fund which was fine uh, which is why I paid full price for it because I kind of have had this rule lately where I'm not going to pay full price to any sort for, for a trade if I don't have to but if I'm buying it directly from the creator, like with um, the Fox trade that I bought from Dean Hasfield, or where it's going to support a, a pretty worthy cause, I'll, I'll plunk down the money. So Paul Pope comes in. His hair is all messed up. He's wearing a denim jacket, you know, shirt, and ripped up kind of like designer jeans. And, and what's funny is that I was talking to the guy in front of me who was going to get a sketch and everything. He actually was very... This is this is what I love sometimes. The guy in front of me who was right in front of me, we were talking about him. We were talking about what we knew and then we were talking about Batman and all this stuff. And he had one of those convention sketch covers and he's like, I'm going to get... He had a couple of people's Batman heads on it. So he's like, I'm going to get Paul Pope to do it. And he had a few comics and he looked at me and he said, what are you getting signed? Well, I said, I've got this book and I've got the 100% trade. And he's like, why don't you go ahead of me? I was like, really, really nice. So... Paul Pope is a rock star. I mean, there's really no way around it. He is a fucking rock star. And that's basically... And and I don't mean to say that to be, like, mean or snarky. He's totally, like, you'd meet the guy, and, and he was a really nice guy. But total fucking rock star. And and uh, the guy, the kid, the guy in front of me, the, there was a kid in front of me, he must have been about 15 years old. And this is one of his first comic conventions. And he had like a small list of things to get signed. He was like, wow, the lines are like crazy. We're like, yeah. And I was talking about some of the other creators. And we were, he was asking about, you know, asking about a couple of comics. And we were talking about Batman. I said, oh, go read this, go read that. 
And he had an Adventure Time comic, and he asked Paul to draw a little face and stuff. And, and he's like, so do you draw? And he's like, yeah. And they had a really cool conversation. And he was really encouraging. And then he looked at me, looked at the kid, and the kid said, thank you. And he shook his hand. And he said, yeah, that's the future right there. And I was like, uh-huh. You know, I was like, yeah, yeah. I said, uh, and then I told him, you know, I said, well, you know, it's it's, it's, it's nice to meet you. And and I, I had him sign 100%, and I have this, and I have this, and, and I gave him the um, Leaping Tall Buildings book, and he, and he started flipping through, he's like, and he's like, and he looked, he pointed at his page, and then he, um, <laughs> his his ex-girlfriend is in the background, and he's like, he's just like, oh, this fucking bitch, you know, and I was just like, oh, I'm so sorry, he's like, no, it's okay, and then he looked, and he's like, I'm wearing the exact same clothes as I am in this picture, so that was pretty funny, it kind of broke the ice, and then he, he just started flipping through, and he was like, oh, this guy's really cool, this guy's kind of a dick, this guy, you know, he had a couple of choice things to say about a couple of comics creators that I'm not going to repeat, but, but, um, and then, then he signed it, and then he signed his copy of 100%, but I was just like, it was this sort of, like, total, total rock star type of atmosphere around him in a way that like you know he exuded that attitude you expected this guy to be in a band the way he looked the way he dressed the way he acted and like I said I don't mean that negatively I don't mean that in any snarky sort of way it just kind of was what it was and I kind of found it amusing because I'm too old to be enamored by that there's only a few people who are rock stars they're celebrities that I'm ever going to be enamored by I mean if Bruce Springsteen walked up to me and talked and he was like and he was exactly like you expect the boss to be yeah I'd be like holy shit you know but usually I'm kind of I'm not impressed because I'm too fucking old to be impressed by that shit it's just I like I'm impressed when the guys are nice and they're just pleasant to talk to and they don't mind having a two minute conversation with the nearly middle aged guy who still reads the comic books so um, but that was my last signature Um, but that wasn't the end of my con or was the end of the con but that wasn't all I did because I did a lot of shopping this year I wanted to buy a couple of toys just to see if I could find some cool loose old action figures and everything Thing was really really overpriced even like loose bagged star wars action figures were like eight to ten bucks a pop and i was i know that's like me being cheap but like you're selling me prune face at eight dollars really and i was talking to a co-worker the other day and who's younger than i am she's about to turn 30 and she's a star wars fan and we were walking to lunch and i said yeah they had like prune face she's like who was that i said he was one of the random creatures on java's cell barge that you know like squid head and these guys who were like made one appearance and she's like yeah and they're never in the game but they had an action figure and i said back when i was a kid in 83 um before she was born you used to go you know the star wars action figures about two or three bucks and you got your couple of dollars and mom would take you to Toys R Us and you go and buy an action figure. And I lost my Vader figure or the head got cut off or whatever. I didn't have a Vader figure. And I remember for years I wanted a Vader figure. And you'd go and like, do they have the Vader figure? Until I was finally done with Star Wars toys. And no, but there's 50 fucking prune faces, I can tell you that. I mean, that was that's all you remember about prune face and squid head is that there were 50 gabillion of these fucking things. And then you had um, maybe a Darth Vader or Boba Fett. Maybe, if somebody didn't take it. You know, they were they were the crap in the 50 cent bin that you, you're trying to find the one that you want through the crap in the back issue bin. But speaking of back issues, not as many back issues this year. Last year, it was all about the back issues. I got Who's Who. I got um, a bunch of Titan stuff in it. This year, I had my list. I had my want list. And now that I have a smartphone, I saved my want list to my smartphone. So I just pulled up my list and I was going through it. And um, did not find a lot of what I was looking for. But I did. I, I got some some Superman back issues that I just needed to fill some holes 
in my actual, in my Dan Jurgens Team Titans era run, I've been slowly collecting some of the ancillary Titans appearances from 1980 to the present. So, like, you know, I have Blue Beetle number 13, where the Teen Titans guest in that. So, like, stuff like that. And I'll pick up, like, that Action Comics, where it's Action Comics 584, which is a team up with Superman and Cyborg, and and stuff like that. Um, and I got a few of those. And I, I and then I had written down Secret Origins, and I had written Suicide Squad. I'm looking for number two of Suicide Squad, and I haven't been able to find it. And they didn't have a lot of Suicide Squad. My LCS has a lot, so I might check that out. But Secret Origins, I got issue 50, which is the last issue, and I was like, oh, wow. And it was I got it for like a dollar. So I'm like, I'm definitely picked this up. And for 50 cents, I had to get this because it's just like one of those comics where you're just like, I've got to pick this up at this cheap. I got the first issue of the comic book adaptation or the comic book series V, or based off the old NBC alien invasion show. I was like, oh, I have to get this. So I want to kind of cover this. I'm, I What I might do is do a podcast episode uh, a while down the road about random ass comics or something, and, and V will be in there. I finally got the last issue of Titans that I needed, that that really awful, the one that kind of got better when JT Cruel took it over, but it started with Judd Winnick, and I kind of walked away from that book for a while, and then I kind of picked it up when, when it became kind of Deathstroke leading a anti-hero team, and, which was fairly interesting until the end. Um, I, now I can read it all the way through. I got um, a variant cover of, a, of the Devin Grayson Titans run. Number one, I got some Action Comics weekly issues that feature Nightwing that I did not have. The, the The first issue of the George Perez series Sirens was out, and they had a con exclusive, but I didn't get it because it was $10. And I was like, there. I, I kind of looked at the guy, I was like, it's 10 bucks. He's like, yeah. I said, you know, I, I hate to tell you this, but I think I'm just going to buy it off the stand when it's cover price. Um, and he kind of nodded. He said, or he said, you know, you can go get it signed. I said, yeah, but the line's so long. He said, I totally understand. But it looks good, and I'm going to check it out. Um, I uh, The one thing, the cool thing I did get is I went to the Kaboom. Every year I've gone to the Kaboom booth with uh, next to the Boom Studio stuff, and I've kind of roamed around the Boom Studios and Kaboom booth, mainly because they've been putting out some interesting stuff. I don't buy a ton of their stuff, but I've been, you know, seeing what I can. And my son is now really into Adventure Time. And I paid the money. It was, it was a little bit pricey. It was like 20 or 30 bucks. But I, I, I met one of the artists who did Adventure Time and, and paid to her for her to draw a cover sketch, you know, the, the blank convention sketch covers. And she drew Finn holding a sword. That's Jake. It's a Jake sword. And he's saying for Brett. And, and he's got his Adventure Time custom comic cover, um, which, which was pretty cool. Uh, I met an artist whose work both on the web and on the uh, and, and and stuff I've admired for a few years, uh, both art wise and web wise. He was one of the founders of he was the founder of TitansTower.com, which is one of the best website, the best website to talk about the Teen Titans. Has all sorts of reference stuff. Bill Walco. Bill Walco also now draws a lot of things for the line it is drawn, and he was selling pr- prints of his work. Um, I bought my wife a. Diana's Wonder Fashions, a Wonder Woman kind of fashion spread uh, poster. But I also brought, because he was doing a two-for-one poster sale, and the very mini posters were about $10 each, so 20 bucks on a couple of posters. And again, directly to the artist, I'm like, this is something worth it. I got his two of his Teen Titans posters. One was the Great Frog 
Gabriel's Horn, um, <laughs> kind of the seventies era Titans and the sixties era Titans one, um, both of which are really, really fun, um, fun, fun posters. But my big get this year was trades. Last year, the trade paperbacks were not in short supply. This year, there were so many half-price, $5 per trade, $6 per trade bins. Um, I specifically sought out one retailer's booth, Big Planet Comics, out of Vienna, Virginia, and couldn't find anything I, I wanted there, uh, which was a bummer. I, well, I might have bought something half-priced from them, but otherwise um, was looking for specific stuff. And, and here's here's some of what I picked up. I got Batman the Cult, the entire thing, uh, $2 a Two dollars an issue, so for eight bucks, I got the entire entire story of Batman the Cult. Um, I picked up the Green Lantern Emerald Dawn trade paperback for five bucks. I got the Trial of the Flash showcase for about six dollars or seven dollars. Um, I picked up the Batman Dark Detective, which is the sequel to Strange Apparitions, the Englehart Marshall Rogers stuff for for five bucks uh there is a joe kubert vietnam war comic called dong zo or dong zai um vietnam 1965 which i might cover as a bonus episode of of in country i've seen it in the discount trade bins at my local comic shop for for a while and i and i was like oh i might as well pick this up my big get though believe it or not was strangers in paradise um i've been a fan of terry moore for years and i read all of strangers of paradise but I only had like the last maybe five or six trades. Um, there's 19 trades in all, and I had 13 through 19. I had 10, 11, and 12 actually, but I loaned them to a friend years ago, and I never got them back. But in a $5 trade bin, I found one through like eight. And I was like, I can't pass these up, because every time I go to the discount trade bins at my local comic shop and I see a Strangers in Paradise trade, I try to grab it, if it's one that I don't have. And I finally found one that I didn't have. And I was like, so now I only need three more to have the complete Strangers of Paradise. And I know I'm being like a completist and a collector here with it. And I'm specifically collecting the certain trades that did come out. But I'm like, once I do that, I'm going to reread the whole thing. So that was really cool, just walking away with all these Strangers trades and stuff. I came home with an enormous, enormous book bag full of stuff. I stopped off at the Krispy Kreme. In Alexandria on my way home, as I have done every year I've gone to the panel. And what was really cool was that, you know, I'd saved up a lot of money for this and I really felt I got my money's worth. What I love about that is that the people that put the convention together really do try to make it as fan friendly as possible. And some of the vendors are better than others. I have learned over the years to, over the last couple of years, to not be impatient. When it comes to shopping, uh, keep certain booths in mind. Come back to them. And if they don't have what I saw earlier, like somebody like last year, I saw the Aquaman miniseries from 86 in a in a bin. Thought, okay, I'll come back and get that. And then right as I came back, somebody else bought it. I was like, ah, shit. But you know what? Dems the brakes. But still, be patient. See if you can find it somewhere else. And I think I got some really good deals and some stuff. I considered buying a movie poster or two from a booth that was selling movie posters, but I didn't know what I necessarily wanted, so I might consider that and put it on my shopping list next year. The toys, like I said, I don't even think I... I, If I can find a booth where there's a lot of cool toys like that, like that might be affordable, I will, but otherwise I think I was there just... It's almost good to just gawk at the old toys that you can see, but you're never really going to buy them. I, I really should spend more time in Artist Alley. 
I love Artist Alley. There's a lot of people. Now, there's a lot of people who are selling stuff where I'm like, really, but there's a lot of people who are selling stuff that's like really, really excellent. And um, Bill Walker was one of them. Rob Kelly was there last year. He wasn't able to make it this year. One of the girls, one of the people I met last year who was scheduled to be there, but I did not find her booth. So she might not. Have, she might have been a no show for Saturday. Was that girl Mary Jane DiCarlo, who was a teenager and she was drawing her own book? And I saw her on the list. And I was like, oh, I would love to meet her again because you know, see what else she's done. Cause you know, uh, the whole idea of, you know, student work and things. Uh, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll kind of make more of a mental note to do that. And maybe I'll make a mental note next year, not to be so focused on checking things off a list, which is what I was feeling I was doing this year. And, um, you know, kind of, and you get distracted too, because you see like a cool costume and you're taking pictures of it and stuff. And, and kind of like calming it down a little bit next year, but the, the the scope of the con has gotten a little bit bigger, and that was really really helpful uh, for me because it was easier to move around. And you know, I give a lot of credit to the people who who make it because you really do feel comfortable. Everybody who attends is very very nice, and there's a lot of stuff for kids there. And when my kids old enough not to 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 have the patience to sit in line for a long time and to have the patience to walk around with me, and if he's still interested, I might bring him. Um, but really there's some really, really interesting stuff there and they've really done a good job with it without having to cater to different things to, to, to change the format. The, the extra day I think helped a lot. Uh, it was crowded on Saturday, but it wasn't mobbed because people didn't feel like they had to get there and get in there on time. Maybe it was like a nice icebreaker for it. Uh, all everybody, all the creators were really cool. And um, so it's worthwhile. And if you're on the East Coast, it's a worthwhile experience because A, the tickets are not expensive. The tickets, when you are actually paying for a ticket, you're paying, I think they were like $28 this year for one day. They don't sell out as swiftly as some of the other bigger cons do. So it's still a small con, but it's a it's a it's almost like a big con and a small con at the same time. You feel that you are you feel that you're you're able to get around, and you feel very very welcome in home. Um, and uh, with some people talking to some people, there's an intimacy. It depends on and it depends on who you're talking to. But I had a great time every year I go. I feel like this kid in a candy store with these things, and and I'm 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 always so excited. I'm 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 so happy, and and I and I really really enjoyed it. So, um, what are what's coming down the pike here as I wrap up this episode, which is kind of me rambling along a little bit about um, about the con- convention coming down the road? I am going to be covering uh, a movie with Trentus Magnus, and then I will be wrapping up the year with more podcasts and more essays about. 1994, the most important year of the 90s. I've got some stuff already lined up for next year. Uh, I don't have a theme for next year. I'm just going to be back to kind of random episodes. Um, I've got, but I have a list of topics that I've, now that I'm in the last half of 2014, I started sketching out topics for 2015 of what I would want to cover and what I put off because I was like, oh, I just want to cover this. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm really looking forward to being a part of the Two True Freaks Network. This is really, really fun. I went to Disney World over the summer with my family. I did not do a Disney World episode mainly because I was carrying my entire family around and that was seven people because it was my parents and my wife's parents. So I didn't record anything. But I did have the opportunity to meet Scott Gardner 
And we met for all 15 minutes. We walked around. Me, him, and my wife walked around on an impressively hot day in the Magic Kingdom. My parents and I had just eaten lunch and dinner at the Liberty Tree Tavern. And Scott and I talked. We talked a little bit about the park and, and, and stuff. And then he, he made the invite. He said, would you like to come on the network? And I was like, yeah, of course. So it was really, really great to meet him. And, and we're going back next year. Maybe I'll be able to meet him again, meet up with him again. And... Um, Maybe I'll be able to do a Disney-oriented episode as well now that I've kind of been to the park for the first time in 25 years. So, But otherwise, um, come back in two weeks for, for the next episode, and I'm going to try to get this this podcast on a twice-monthly schedule for the most part, um, especially as I, as I work out other things with other shows that I'm doing. And uh, so thank you, Scott. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Mike Voiles, for helping me out and getting me on the network and getting all the ep- – and, you know, giving me what I needed to get everything up and running. Um, thank you for listening. Whether or not you this is your first time listening and this is your – or this is your uh, 35th time listening, you followed me over here from Potomatic. Uh, thanks for Potomatic for, hop- for hosting this thing for two years before I, before I ditch you. Thank you very much. And I don't have an outro plan yet, so I'm just going to do this uh, off, off the cuff. But – As I always say, this is intended for entertainment purposes only, so please don't try to sue me. I don't have any money anyway. I'm a teacher for crying out loud. Anyway, uh, you can find this podcast now at 2TrueFreaks.com. You can find it on iTunes by searching for 2TrueFreaks Presents Pop Culture Affidavit. Every week over at popcultureaffidavit.com, I either have show notes for a podcast episode or an essay that is about something completely random in the world of popular culture. So please go over to popcultureaffidavit.com and check out the show notes as well as the essays that I write. If you love to shop and if you shop at amazon.com, before you do so, go to truetruefreaks.com. Click on the Amazon link and then do your shopping. It costs you nothing extra, but the Two True Freaks website gets a percentage of the sale. They get a little bit of a kickback. In fact, if you go through and click it and then you bookmark where you are from Amazon. That's the click-through link, and every time you just hit your bookmark, you will be helping out Two True Freaks, and it is a very, very worthwhile way to help support this podcast and any of the others on the Two True Freaks Network. So thank you for listening to this episode of Pop Culture Affidavit, and I will see you next time for more pop culture randomness. Ooh, ooh, ooh.